is that allowing you, I know that you've mentioned that even just having this sort of processes in place is allowing you to yeah. work on more strategic things, but the, uh, yeah, I, I guess is, is, sorry, this might be again a look, Ben, you have to cut this one. <laughs> a little convoluted. I'm just, I'm just glad like, that I'm not the one that, that made us have to have an edit. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by Brad Lawless, the Director of Product Marketing at Movista. Brad is doing a kick-ass job of building competitive enablement right now. Within six months, he's already earned additional headcount dedicated to competitive. He's established a baseline competitive confidence score from his reps to report on regularly, And he's freed up time to be involved in more strategic competitive conversations and really spending less time in the weeds. So how's he doing it? Well, other than hard work, elbow grease, and a can-do attitude, Brad built his competitive program with the guidance of the competitive enablement maturity model. So I had to have Brad come join me and share a few secrets about what he's done to succeed so quickly and how he's used the maturity model to build a business case internally with leadership to really set processes in place to allow his competitive program to scale. And then also the short-term objectives he's laid out and the long-term vision he has for competitive enablement within the company. There's plenty of tactical takeaways for listeners. I'm excited for you all here at all. So with that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am joined by Brad Lawless, the Senior Director of product marketing at Movista, a master at making the technical things simple. And this might be 90% of the reason we got him on here. He's a graduate of English literature. So a man after mine and Ben's hearts. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Adam. I've uh, been really looking forward to this. Should be fun. Yeah, this one's going to be good. Brad is doing an incredible job building out competitive enablement at his organization. And so when, when we were chatting offline, we're kind of like looking at what, what's, what have you been doing? Like, how, how have you been successful? And one of the things he's pointing towards is building his competitive program off of a maturity model. So before we get into specifically like that piece, yeah. I want to just, you mentioned as well, right before recording, he's like, the maturity model is nothing new, but why do you find that so helpful in general as a concept? Yeah. So um, in addition to uh, being a a student in English literature, I decided I need to go back to school at some point. I went to grad school for uh, information systems. I remember in our, um, I think it was like a systems analysis and design class, some sort of a seminar. I mean, the software maturity model um, or maturity model for software organizations was front and center. I mean, it's not a new concept, right? So the easily 20 plus years, and I'm going to try not to think about how old I am now, it's just that um, in working with uh, Clue and, and, and our rep, Sophie, you know, she, y'all, y'all have applied that to competitive. It makes a lot of sense, right? Because everybody starts out generalizing. I'm assuming everyone starts out in that really disorganized kind of ad hoc space, right? Of, oh my goodness, we have a competitor showing up um, in our conversation tomorrow. What can we learn about them? And you scramble and you search online and you put a PowerPoint together that, won't get touched for nine months and people will forget it exists after tomorrow. And the only way to improve that is to put processes in place and to understand how people want to consume your information, how you can serve that up to them. And you can do that without a plan, but 
dear Lord, it's so much easier when you have a good plan. And that's, to me, that's all the model is. It's just a plan for moving from extremely simple, non-repeatable um, processes toward highly scalable, highly repeatable processes with the right people in place. So the, the daily work of competitive enablement is automatic at that point, right? And, you're, and, you, and, and you have enough brain space to start applying your intellect to, to those bigger problems, right? Like how do, we, how do we really go after our top three competitors, right? How do, how do we work on depositioning them? What are, what are we really looking at there? Because everything else just sort of takes care of itself. Yeah, so it's sort of getting out of the, not necessarily getting out of the weeds because I still think people, even at like advanced stages of maturity and competitive, they're still yeah. hands-on on deal support and those types of things. But it's less so, I think you mentioned like that reactive ticking boxes, having to do this and then there's no brain space or time available for bigger strategic initiatives. And I, the reason that I'm so excited to have you on as well is as you mentioned there, a lot of listeners, there's probably a lot of listeners in varying stages of maturity with their own program, but a lot in that ad hoc starting point. Like yeah. you've got product marketers that are either teams of one or even they're doing competitive as 50% of their work. Maybe, maybe it's really side mm -hmm. of desk and that kind of like that puts competitive work as a to-do list or a, a box to tick. But in what ways has this maturity model and like snapping your program with, with this process in place, what has that like uh, allowed you to do in terms of some of the early like returns and results for what you've done with competitive? Oh man. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think we're still early returns and results. We're still, we're still measuring, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've, um, we've formalized this program in maybe December November of last year, you know, when we got on the Clue platform. Before then, we were very ad hoc. Um, early returns, I have, um, we've, we've uh, um, done a, a baseline satisfaction survey with our, with our go-to-market teams. So, you know, we, we're seeing those results of where people are telling us like, yes, this information has been helpful. Yes, it's given me a, you know, I have a centralized place to go and that saves me time in my day. Um, we're just now getting to the point where we're cleaning up some of our win-loss records in Salesforce. Um, we've implemented some rules that require people to say if there were competitors or not before they can close out a, a deal. Um, but that's only been in the last month. So we need to go um, enforce some data hygiene, if you will, um, and, and go work sort of, we're going to work one-on-one -on -one with our sellers to, to get historical look backs, at least to January. So we can really understand, yeah, what, how has this tool impacted things uh, from the beginning? Um, and not just this tool, but this, you know, this idea of, maturing our competitive enablement. Early feedback is quite positive. Um, 60 plus percent of our sellers are telling us that they feel uh, better equipped having this information at their fingertips than they did before. Um, and I think that's going to prove out in the numbers as well in another couple of months when, once we're really able to study that. Yeah. To, I guess I, I want to zoom out as well. Like I want you, can you paint me a picture of what competitive I mean, you mentioned that you you launched a, like formally built out a program in, in November, but maybe like a year ago, what did competitive look like at the organization? What was the process and the practices in play? Completely different. And it might help too. Um, I'll spend like 30 seconds just talking about our industry. Um, yes. So we are a retail execution and workforce management platform. Um, basically, uh, the people that do the work to put stuff on shelves in a retail store um, use our software 
to build the projects, get it done, show proof of performance, manage schedules, all that fun stuff. A year ago plus, so I've been with the company for four, a little over four years. When I started, I was our first sales engineer. And from then until, like I said, last December, competitive uh, research was the domain of sales engineering. For one, product marketing didn't exist. We also created that last year at, at Movista. Um, so it was the domain of sales engineers. Um, and it was exactly kind of what I described before. Um, a salesperson would be going into a meeting where they knew there was a competitor and it would be like, find everything you can about this. Um, now we did know that we had two or three, five, four or five like major competitors, right? And at some point we did exactly what I was talking about. We're like, we're always going to run into these people. So let's do some research and build a PowerPoint and put it out on SharePoint. And I can tell you those collected dust because when I started the program over again last December, um, I went back to those same PowerPoints. Those are my foundational material. You know, don't, don't redo work when you can save a little work. And they were all nine plus months old um, when the last sales engineer who was in charge of them um, had left our company for another opportunity. And so that was my starting point was, you know, dusty old Intel that I then searched the web and, you know, did all the things you do when you're beginning research on a company and revalidated the things that were true and um, took out the stuff that had changed. Um, and then we went from there. And since then, I, I've been a team of one when it comes to uh, sales enablement or competitive enablement of sales. And um, just recently, a few weeks ago, we brought on our first um, competitive specialist who is um, going to be able to apply you know, all of their time to uh, this particular program and helping us really level up quickly um, by having that resource available. Congrats on that. Like that's, that's no small feat. And being able to add headcount, I'm sure there's people listening like, I wish I'm dreaming of the day <laughs> that I can get headcount. And honestly, I think some of the, some of the steps you've taken that we're going to share in the podcast yeah. are probably, uh, if someone can take a handful of the things you've done, then they're well on their way to getting either headcount or just more buy-in. And we're going to get into some of the tactical things and the elements of like maturing your program and some of the core pillars that you've hit. But to begin with as well, I, I've, I'm wondering in terms of, so you're starting from scratch, you mentioned this kind of docs and decks, uh, this one-off research, it's sitting in sales engineering, product yeah. marketing function does not even exist. Now, as you build out the product marketing function, in what way did you have to get the buy-in from executives to even like even invest or consider competitive enablement as a, as an important function within the business, like making it from nothing to something yes. like that's from zero to one, even that piece is it's, it's critical. And I think what you've done has showcased that it's doable. So give us a little bit of that starting point before the starting point, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is very doable. I think, um, I was fortunate to have um, executive sponsorship in the idea um, as we got started. So um, our industry is in a period of pretty rapid expansion. It's weird. It's like we're a black hole. It's expansion and consolidation. So you're seeing a lot of new people come into the marketplace very quickly. You're also seeing um, larger companies start to buy up smaller ones. So it's just a, it's a highly energetic, very competitive space. And we all kind of knew like the information we had wasn't cutting it, right? The, our old way ad hoc, the dusty PowerPoints weren't helping. So as our own company is growing, we had traditionally honestly built things that um, 
you know, existing customers wanted or that um, customers that we were pitching told us they wanted, right? And they were like, you, you build a thing, you sell the thing people already tell you they want to buy. That, you know, that's not truly sustainable for a, a market leader. And so we knew we needed to really, you know, put, be product focused and product first. Um, part of that is putting, uh, we have a, a product strategy department now. We knew we need to have product marketing to bridge that gap. We'd kind of informally been doing that for a while. Um, again, sales engineering being that bridge between sort of technology and marketing and sales kind of filled in that gaps. But, um, you know, we, we, we knew we needed to punch up our product documentation really give solid um, assets to our go-to-market team, right? Product base, here's how you position it. And, and, and so the executive team were behind that from, from day one. So that was super helpful. Now, when it came to um, the details of what that looks like, um, I didn't even, I wasn't even sure, right? So I just, all I knew was I, I am now in charge of this thing. Uh, I'm one person with responsibility for like four other things besides competitive, I'm going to die. I, that was, li- <laughs> that was literally, I think, I think once I said, it, I was like, I'm going to die if I keep doing it the old way. And so I went online and started doing some research and I discovered that um, this whole new class of software existed that um, I, I didn't know about, right. Competitive intelligence, competitive enablement, did my due diligence, um, you know, met you guys and, and here we are today. Um, I, but I, I knew before, before I knew what the tools looked like, I just knew that there had to be a way to gather information in an automated fashion, um, find, you know, ha- have computers that are smarter than me bubble things up to the surface, right? So I can start triaging and managing as much as you can by exception. And then putting all that information in one place. I'll go ahead and take a stand. I'm not a huge fan of SharePoint, um, especially especially when it comes for things like this, when when you, when information is fluid and changes a lot. Um, you want to give people one place to go for things. Um, so those were my, those were my criteria when the program started. It was like, I knew I need this, 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 and this did the research. And then when it was time to go to the executive team and like, Hey, I need a tool. Here's how much it costs. Um, and, but this tool will also let us get information to the sales team faster. We're gonna, you know, be able to, um, provide information when people need it, right? And, and where they need it. Uh, and then built into that original plan was, I also need a person. Um, I need help to, to manage this because the tools are great, but you still have to have a, an expert who, who becomes a domain expert about all of your competitors. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think it was a combination of uh, maybe being a little convincing on my part, but then our exec team also understanding the importance of it from the get-go. Totally. And I didn't have to do too much convincing. To your point is, I mean, tech, tech alone isn't a solution to actually operating competitive enablement successfully too, right? Correct. It's not just, it's, I want an extra person. I like, and I guess this is where sort of your, your process comes in play. And yeah. let, let's jump into some of the things that you did to establish the program and where you are from a maturity standpoint and each of these kind of core pillars that we see as, essential to building out uh, an effective competitive enablement program. And again, starting from scratch. So you're starting at the most ad hoc of ad hoc stages here. Yes. The objectives piece. What was, what's the starting point here in terms of defining and then going about measuring the objectives of your competitive program specifically? So 
again, early on, I was starting from the basics, right? It was move all of our legacy information into, into this platform, right? And, and I really don't, I'm, I'm talking about tools a lot, but, but I, to underscore what you said, no tool in the world is going to solve a business problem unless you're willing mm -hmm. to um, make your process for putting information in that tool efficient and, and mm -hmm. for, for you and, and build that knowledge. Um, so it, it was pretty basic. We had to, I had a motivating factor to start. So uh, second or third week in January, largest retail conference in the country happens at the Javits Center in New York, National Retail Federation, NRF. Um, we had planned a pretty big presence there, um, you know, pre-COVID surge, because that's always fun when those things pop up. But we still had a, we were still sending a lot of people there. And that was like a month and a half after, you know, we were like putting the stake in the ground, like we will have competitive information. So um, I set a goal for myself to have a board for every competitor that was exhibiting NRF. It was like eight or 10 companies. So I, I, I basically told everybody, don't bother me in January as much as possible. All I'm doing is this and got all the information loaded. From there, you know, it's really been, so, so step one has just been building blocks, get the information in, get it linked to different systems. So um, people don't always, you know, people consume information differently. Um, we are a Slack shop um, and a Salesforce shop. So I want to make sure that that information can flow back and forth from those places. So we got those connectors set up and running. I feel that was pretty instrumental to creating that awareness and, and points of interaction for our team. Started getting digests out pretty much from day one, um, weekly. Um, first, to just remind people that that this that the information is there, but then secondly, to get them excited when we have new things coming through. Um, creating all of those touch points. Once that's there, um, we did things like the the baseline survey that I talked about. Let I got the team on this on the system for a bit, let them use it for a couple of months, and then like, hey, you know, how do you like this? What what's missing? I plan to send that out maybe quarterly. I'm going to do it next quarter, depending on, on, you know, if any of the data points change drastically, we may go to like every, every, twice a year, something like that, but um, under, understanding where we need to get better and, and mm -hmm. how people can, can find the information more usable. And honestly, that's kind of where we're at right now. I mean, it, mm -hmm. we, we've been, we've been, this program's five months old. Um, so the early, get it all in. I feel like we're, we're pretty much there now. Now we're at that place where we can start tuning. And I'm pretty excited about that too. And in terms of outlining the objectives of the program, I, I, I know you mentioned like there was a short-term objective that we could articulate early. Eight competitors at this conference. Yep. Let's, let's build information on those eight competitors. In terms of articulating the objectives of the program as well, like how did you align it to the broader business goals? I mean, that one seems like there's a natural fit. Like this is what our business is doing. This is a big yeah. play for us. So competitive, your competitive work is going to snap to that. But what about even kind of broader from aligning what your objectives are from a competitive enablement perspective and snapping that to the business strategies? Yeah. So I mentioned that we're, we have a shift toward a, a really product focused sales and marketing approach. Part of that, honestly, we're expanding kind of what competitive enablement really even means. Um, some of that's going to be looking at our industry, looking at what existing customers are saying, starting to use the competitive information that we have to drive our product development. Um, not, you know, it's easy to look at competitors and, and, and identify gaps. Gaps, gaps are easy, right? They, they've uh, they've built something before we could. Now that's in the marketplace, so we need to play catch up. 
Um, understanding though, where, as we're doing our, our competitive research, where perhaps a potential customer has shared like, oh yeah, we looked at this platform. We liked A, B, and C, but they were missing D and E. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. Um, because you fit our customer profile for a large national consumer goods company. And you just told us that D and E really are important to you. We can take that intelligence and put it right back into our account-based marketing program when we talk to someone else that looks like you. Um, or maybe we have DNA, but they're uh, it's pretty basic. Maybe we need to, you know, we have plans on the backlog on our development backlog. Um, but base, you know, if if that potential customer tells us something and two or three others tell us that they really like those things, well, then all of a sudden that that item moves up in our backlog to be worked on next quarter you know, as opposed to a couple of quarters from now. I, I wish I could. And, and at the end of the day, when you're talking about time to business objectives, sales, clearly, mm -hmm. you know, it, sales cure all ills. And um, that's why we're building those, those connection points in sales today. So we can say, um, oh, we want to deal against this competitor because we had that info. Um, I would love to get to the, to a granular level of identifying, not just, you know, and we do this, we, we connect, we collect it anecdotally, but start tying it to specific modules in our platform or features. So yeah, we beat this competitor because of this feature. Mm. And then we know, okay, well, that's an Achilles heel that we can, we can use for a little bit until, you know, they catch up or we get, you know, everything changes, but at least that helps us to, to power what the next iteration of conversation should be about that competitor. Brad, you're a natural at this because you're segueing me into sort of the second pillar of maturing your program. And this is, you, you mentioned sort of a little bit early there, like end user sentiment and confidence against competition is one. And now you're kind of looking at tying the work you're doing to revenue impact. And so the KPIs and metrics piece of the work you're doing, like you have to prove out what you're doing is actually valuable to the business beyond just kind of qualitative. Although that is a really core component from the starting point. I wanted to share a little stat with you. We actually just did a research report with the PMA. Over half of product marketers doing compete work right now aren't measuring their performance in any way at all. Is that, is that a surprise to you? No, um, because I think 100% of that half are probably just too dang busy. You know, mm -hmm. like it's uh, when I, I just think about when I was doing that kind of work myself, or not, you know, when I was the only person doing that kind of work. I mean, for one thing, that's probably not even your full-time job, right? Like you yeah. said, it's a box that you're checking. And when it's a box you're checking, success is checking the box. It's not mm. seeing what happens after it's checked. And when we were in our, our you know, you think that's a, phase, do you think that's a good way to look at, look at it? No, no. I mean, you know, cliches, are tiresome because everyone's heard them, but you keep saying them for a reason. And there's that one that's, uh, that goes, uh, uh, you have to inspect what you expect. And, and I think that applies here. Um, if you're not seeing how that work is being used and understanding its effectiveness, then how are you going to know that you're doing it right the next time around? And, and, and truly, I think, um, that's that statistic is a function of, of people who just don't have the luxury of time to do that. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's counterintuitive because it's like, ah, I got to go do all this other stuff. Well, yeah, but if you can take a beat 
and do that work and see what it looks like. Well, the next time you do it, you're probably also not going to have to spend as much time on it because you're going to understand places where you are overextending yourself or, or under extending and, and calibrate and tune and hopefully deliver a better product next time with not as much work. Or honestly, maybe you understand that that perform, maybe it's over indexing what you thought for as far as impact goes. Well, in that case, you should probably talk to your boss and maybe have some of your other responsibilities taken away <laughs> so you can focus. So in terms of like we just mentioned there, a lot of people in terms of the reporting and the metric side of competitive work are in early, early ad hoc stages, which you were yeah. six months ago. So what is what are a few things that you've done and that someone that's sitting here like, how can I just start? What's the first thing I can do to just prove a little bit of impact on the work I'm doing? Like, do you, could you share a couple of those things? I mean, talk to your sales team. Um, and I'll admit, I probably haven't done enough of that, right? It was like, I have an idea for a program. We're going to put it in place and then we're going to do this. But I had also been on the sale, you know, I, mm -hmm. uh, when I was doing sales engineer work, like I got it. I, 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 I may not be talking to him every day right now, um, but my new person is. <laughs> that's what you can, that's what you do when, when you can get some headcount, right? Like literally start having those one-on-one -on -one conversations a lot. Yeah. When you're just starting out, um, get to know your sales team, understand their pain points. Um, Understand how, because man, sales is, I'm amazed by how much a good sales leader can, can create science out of something. Mm. But then when you have a seller who is in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, it's still just pure art, right? And every seller loves, they have a, they have a certain approach and they have a certain way they talk about things and they're going to highlight some things and not even talk about others. And you kind of need to know that if you're going to, if you're going to be really effective and if you can take all that in aggregate, kind of keep it in mind while you're doing that research. Um, even if you're ad hoc, even if you're creating the PowerPoints that are kind of dusty, you increase the chance that they're gonna, that they're gonna see it. The other thing I probably would have done if I could go back in time is create things that were more bite-sized. We were, mm -hmm. we were time compressed. So all we did was, you know, create like a 54 page PowerPoint and then say here, um, I would not have wanted to go read through that a lot if I were the consumer of it. So, you know, that's where, and that's the genesis of a battle card, really, you know, get it down to that, at least that one page, um, but maybe multiple different little snippets or different types of, of one pagers. Of course, then you start to run into the, uh, the maintenance issue again, the, the more, the more manual collateral you create, the more out of date mm -hmm. it's probably going to be, but um, probably would have started with something like that. How, how are you tackling reporting on sales engage, engagement with the competitive content you're, you're, you're yep. providing. And is it not only, I guess, is the consumption side, but also is it actually moving the needle? Yeah. So uh, I learned a couple of professional lifetimes ago. So I, um, at a social media startup I was at, I was, I was over analytics for a while in the early days, right. When you couldn't mm -hmm. count anything. Um, and before it was, it was great. You couldn't count anything. Then you could count everything. And then everyone closed off their APIs and you couldn't count anything again. But in that little golden period, we were focused on retail. We were a social media company focused on retail. So again, tying content to sales. I mean, that's the, again, it's the, the, uh, it's the goal everybody has, I think in marketing and advertising. Um, but we would start to take engagement as a proxy for that. So likes, tweets, retweets, all that fun stuff. 
I don't think it's any different here. We look at our usage analytics within the platform. Um, I know who my top consumers are and, and I can see where they are going for content, which content they're using, understanding that, you know, my top four or five users are, are in there digging around, rooting around for a lot of stuff. At a certain point, it drops off. And then it's usually the digest that brings people in. They see a little snippet and they'll go in and read that. And then they might click around a little bit. So that helps me understand the value of that for keeping everybody, keeping it in front of everyone. And then when it comes to sales, again, um, we're just now getting to the point where we can, um, we can start to look at those impacts and, and start to, we're, we're tracking it now. We, we just haven't done the analysis on it, but we will. Again, we um, require that any opportunity in Salesforce, whether it's close one or close lost, um, someone has to pick a competitor or at least pick a thing that says no competitor, you know, divulged. Forget how we have it worded. Um, so we're going to track it. We're, from here on out, we're tracking every single thing and we're going to be able to tell you if, if where that content came into play and where it didn't. Okay, so let's jump to another pillar of kind of building out the maturity of your program. It's the, the people aspect. And I mean, the people aspect is who you're supporting. Yep. Uh, and then also, I mean, the people aspect as well as the ability to bring on headcount at a later date, like that we can get into that a bit too. But in terms of, again, ad hoc stage, you're starting off, you have to prioritize because you can't do everything for everyone. Who are you supporting first and why? Sales, um, 100%. Uh, at the end of the day, this program exists for us to win more deals. Typically, always start with the lowest hanging fruit. You want to you get the maximum impact for the, the least amount of uh, work required. So like I said, I built our first boards because our team was going to be at this giant trade show. From there, I went to um, the top competitors that we see on a semi-regular basis if they weren't at that trade show. And, uh, and then, you know, started filling out things from there in sort of a tier two, tier three fashion. Now, I will say, while sales is the majority of our users, um, and I, I haven't done a lot of formal outreach to other departments in the company, um, we did do our onboarding with sales and marketing because they're, they're separate departments, but they, they report up through the same, same structure, right? So they're part of the same mm -hmm. larger team. And our, our product management team. Um, actually having quite a few more product managers get in there because you have that question of, well, how, you know, when we're evolving a feature, maybe that, that we know exists pretty much everywhere, uh, that first question always comes up is, well, how are our competitors doing this? And, and we can very quickly, because we have a product lane, um, for, for most of our competitors, I can just point them there and say, there you go, have at it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're always looking to, you know, grow our sales, protect against lost sales to, to competitors, but, um, that's only the beginning for us. Uh, I, I would love for everyone in our company, um, our customer success team, same thing. When it comes up to renewal time, well, a competitor might have creeped into the discussion, right? So, so now they need to look at it um, for the same reason the sales team does, just not as often. So you're saying start with the teams that are closest to revenue. Yeah. Um, one, because there's a hunger for it. Two, I mean, that's going to allow you to report looking at the metrics a lot easier, a lot more, it's a lot more tangible. And then from there, you can start to enable and support other teams. I mean, CS is still in the, in the kind of revenue function. Yeah. But and if you like product. And if you think about it, it starts to create a beneficial spiral. You enable 
more sales. You can attribute that you enabled more sales. You can hopefully get more budget from those more sales. You can grow your program, which means we can start adding maybe specialized battle cards for the product team, for the marketing team versus what sales needs um, for the executive team. Um, and, you know, and you're starting to inform more product strategy mm. uh, in a bigger way, you know, and then the goal there is that everybody, the rising tide sort of lifts all the boats and, uh, you know, everybody has more, uh, more money to play with and, and go do a better job. What about looking ahead? How do you plan on bringing product into the fold? Like what's your vision for enabling and working with the product team from a competitive lens? Well, so it helps. We're a little differently structured, I think, than a lot of people. I'm actually part of the product team, from what I understand. Um, I haven't networked a ton with other product marketers, just an online conversation. But, you know, a lot of times you get product marketing as a subset of marketing, mm-hmm. um, kind of aligned there. You always have touch points out through the rest of the organization. Um, when we started this, I was actually over our product strategy for a while. I wore all the hats. And then we got big enough and I got to choose I have a background in marketing. So it's like, yes, product marketing sounds great. Um, but I was already, because I was in strategy, was, was aligned on the product side of the house. And I didn't really want to leave because I feel like being more tightly connected to the product benefits the content. It benefits mm-hmm. in terms of not, not necessarily just competitive, right? But when we're building our, our product-focused sales enablement materials or working on our product documentation, talking to the other members of the product team on a, you know, several times a week makes all of that easier. And then we can still serve the sales team and the marketing team as um, collaborators and and constituents and um, have all of those conversations. But I just feel like it kind of gave me a leg up, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to work. I didn't have to worry about building those touch points on product, you know, and it's a little unique again, because I was, I was steeped in the product from day one being the sales engineer but that product first approach, I think has helped us move a lot faster on this than we would have been able to do otherwise. It feels like to me, one of the key issues that sometimes folks have that run competitive is if they're in marketing fairy, fairy tale land with their messaging that's enabling sales. And so by proxy of being part of a product team, and as you mentioned, your, your background in sales engineering, you're very much, you have that credibility credibility uh baked in you understand the product to us like a deeper you have a deeper level of knowledge of the product than a a seller even does and you're also being on that sales engineering side you can kind of speak the same language as well as the seller in terms of like other teams as well what um as you're looking for because again uh i love how where you've gone from starting from scratch to here in a matter of five months, but this is by no means a finished product with the compete program, other teams and people that you're looking to inform in the future or bring into the fold. I know you mentioned their CS. What about, what about leadership execs? Where do they kind of fit into the picture? You know, um, definitely leaderships and leadership and exec. And when I'd say it's almost flipped, right? So Mm. sales is our first priority, right? In terms of like delivering things. But I think um, because I'm on the product team, we have a little bit of work to do to build that sort of um, regular cadence and just conversation with the sales team and with the marketing team, which, which the new hire helps with. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got, you know, literally 100% of focus to do a lot of those one-on-one conversations and, and yeah. create that, and which, which 
is exactly kind of where I expected to be at this point. From a leadership standpoint, our um, CSO, who's my boss, has visibility to our system. Um, it was so great. Like a few weeks ago, she hit me up and, uh, you know, toward the end of a day, I think it was past. And she's like, hey, heard something about this company. Do we have anything on them? Oh, my gosh. And I had already built a board. Oh. And they were one of the they were one of the small companies, but I think they were at NRF or something like that. And uh, I was like, yep, sure do. Here you go. Um, I think those types of things are going to happen more organically. Um, I have some work to do to to proactively, I think, share results from the program mm -hmm. with people. I do it sort of in a weekly uh, uh, status update kind of, but in, you know, view of the world of everything we do. But um, now that we've got the extra headcount, we're going to start doing monthly competitive reviews with our sales team in addition to the one-on-one -on -one conversations, right? So we're, we're starting to to begin those those processes, those repeatable, scalable things that people can expect and know, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to get more info here. Some of our sales team execs will be part of that. They'll be invited to it if they can attend. Um, and then starting to provide, once we can tie it to sales, um, you know, claiming credit for it, to be honest, and saying, look, guys, this is helping. Let's do more of it. Um, and then just really understand where the company is going, right? Like what, what, what are our strategic goals in the next 12, 24 months? Does that include, um, you know, is that going to put position us against competitors in a different way? And that's not new, right? That's just part of me helping the strategy side of the house. But then once we roll out a new thing that has been powered by that, again, measure it, point it out and, and improve it next time around. It, it sounds to me too, based on sort of the the legwork you've done to implement a, a, a program with a clear process in place and starting with sales. And now you've got headcount to support sales more directly, which frees yourself up to have more time that it's not only like a deliverable to execs, but it's also you, you have the ability to be sort of a, a strategic voice that they can come to you it sounds yes. to me as well when you've got like your your sales reviews that you're going to do on a monthly basis is like you're almost becoming the voice of compete so if someone like you mentioned a cso is like hey brad there's a competitor come up like people across the organization including leadership think com competition they think you and now you're well, a more strategic piece of the pie no they they definitely think our team i think is is where uh, uh yes sorry your team no no that's that's fine yes to, to steal a phrase that I did not invent, I want to have a culture of competitive enablement, right? And cult cultures are not transactional. Mm -hmm. Cultures uh, are not, uh, they're, they're, they're not one way, right? It's not, hey, here's a report, go do something with it. It's everybody participating together, which, which we've already seen in small ways. Um, when you were asking about just uh, measuring adoption, early, early on, one of the first things before we started this, we didn't have a you know, competitive intelligence channel on Slack. We have regular conversations on that channel now with our, our sellers going, hey, I just heard this thing. Have you heard this? And we can reply, you know, we're replying back there. So it's, again, that uh, as a proxy for increased uh, interaction, ultimately uh, more sales is was very gratifying and positive to see. Totally. I, I mean, all of these things start to bleed together as, you, yes. as folks are probably here during this conversation and Again, it's it's just really cool to see these things play out in practice with with you over over a five minute span. Okay, so the, in terms of we've mentioned that sort of the maturity model and snapping your work to to this, 
has helped you build a scalable process. And ironically, one of the pillars on the maturity model is on processes. So my question in, in this aspect is you've brought on headcount. How has having these processes in place helped that onboarding with someone to come in? And it's, I think you, even at the top of the yeah. episode, you mentioned scalability and I think, was it repeatability? Some, something along mm-hmm. those lines. You know, to, to be honest, um, I mean, those processes are a work in progress. And um, the, the person that we've brought on, um, sh- she's going to help inform sort of the final version of those. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely helped, right? Bringing on a new person, whereas a year ago it would have been, well, now you get to help with competitive. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to, hey, here are all the boards we have so far. Here's all of our product positioning stuff. You know, read through that. Digest publishes on Tuesday every week. So let's have, we're going to have a meeting on Monday to go through stuff that, that, you know, you've reviewed. I mean, there are already, you know, touch points built in because of that communication process. There, there, there's a lot of greenfield where we're still kind of filling in those things because of the increased capacity, right? Like because of this new person, we can have effective monthly competitive reviews, right? Because they're going to have time to do the work, to, to pull all that together. But yeah, I think the I think the fledgling processes that we have gave, created a nice foundation mm-hmm. for this person to come in. Whereas before, it would have been a, a, a lot more um, unstructured and and you know perhaps even haphazard in terms of like please just help. <laughs> Let's. I, I want your advice then in terms of someone listening and they have no tech involved or anything like that. You mentioned yeah. one of the first things you did in terms of. Uh, bringing in processes is even something as simple as like starting a compete Slack channel to gather Intel, to start to build those conversations. Do you have any other pieces of advice or t- something that someone's listening right now and they're trying to start compete from scratch, like a process that they can put into play right now? Is there anything else in addition to sort of like setting up a Slack channel? Ab- absent technology. Like if they're just, if they're doing a homebrew kind of a thing. Yeah. Or- yeah. Do as much as you can to focus on the what, so you're not having to reinvent the how every every time you do this, right? So just whatever is the most efficient thing for you, given your organization and your the constraints you have around people to do work, um, decide, I'm going to spend four hours a week on competitive. I'm going to block my calendar to do that. Right. Like on, um, I don't know about everybody else's calendar, but if I, if I don't curate mine by one o'clock on a Friday afternoon, the following week's already shot. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so give competitive the value that, that it truly should have in your schedule, block, block it out, figure that out. Um, decide what that's going to look like. What outputs are you hoping to have? from that work is, is you just Google searching and going to set up and well, and that's actually a good thing. You can automate some things without having a tool. You can do Google alerts. You can do, you have a spreadsheet, right? That tracks where, where all of your information is. That's still going to take a lot of work because, you know, Google alerts will overwhelm your mailbox. You got to read through all that stuff, make sure, it, you know, a search can bring back a ton of results, but just define it. I mean, stick with it for a month figure out what's working and what's not and refine from there. And, and again, that same thing applies to doing it very manually or using a platform like Clue, 
like Clue just kind of helped us get all the information in one place. Without the process, we'd still be kind of like just dipping in when we need to, when someone says they need something. So for someone that is deciding to like, why do I even need to use the maturity model to like prioritize my work? What, what would you say to them if they're like, I, I don't, I don't need, I don't think I need this yet. Like, I don't understand the value. Like what, what, what would your reply be to someone that's uncertain about going through a maturity assessment or yeah. snapping their work to that? It's still possible to get where you want to go. It, it, okay. Let's, let's use a travel metaphor. You can hop in your car, head a direction and end up in a certain place. Um, if you use a map, you're probably going to get there faster. And that's all the model really is. It, it's showing you it, it's for where I was at when we started, I had, you know, I had weekly or monthly goals. The maturity model starts giving you goals that could, it depends on your own organization, but it could be three months out, so 12 months out. Right. But, but that goal is there. So at the, when you're doing your, your monthly or quarterly reviews of your program, you start to measure where you are versus those goals, right? And then understand, oh, I'm a little bit behind. I need to devote more energy to that. I'm a very goal. Like if I don't have a deadline, I usually forget something exists. And this is me personally. And, and the, the maturity model, while it's not deadline driven at all, you create your own deadlines if you want them. But it, it, it puts that target out there that I can shoot for, um, which helps to take my brain out of that day-to-day, you know, in the weeds where you have to be to really make sure that in the future, there are fewer weeds and just more, you know, productive grass. That's a horrible metaphor. I hate it already, <laughs> but whatever. We're going to, we're going to get said, it. It's on the airwaves. We can't, we can't cut that out now. Yes, yeah, right. No, it's said, already there. The man of many metaphors. Um, Brad, last question here as well. I think you just mentioned um, goal-oriented. It allows you to identify the next thing you want to shoot for. So yes. again, you're, you're, you've done a lot to get from point A to point B, but I think there's still, as you mentioned, um, there's a journey to go in the maturation of your, of your program. So what's, what's next? What's on the horizon for your next goal to kind of improve the maturity of your own program right now? Man several things i played around okay if we're talking about um fun things now that <laughs> like yeah I've, I've thought about maybe creating some sort of a bounty program for competitive intelligence so we have a um we have one of those systems where you can give people um we call them ducats but you know you can give peers little little tokens essentially they can eventually eventually redeem for like gift cards and stuff when you want to recognize somebody in the company um so creating like giving basically giving people money when they give us competitive intel. Uh, people are, are contributing now, but I think that can always be better. Um, as far as, you know, just organizational things, um, increasing visibility to the executive team is a big one. Um, nailing, starting to nail that tie between our content and sales results. Mm -hmm. um, understanding that, doing a second version of our confidence survey with our sellers and, and the rest of the go-to-market team. So we can understand, you know, how that has progressed. Um, I mean, we're, I'm just really hitting greatest hits of this conversation, uh, getting more consumers on the system, increasing the amount people are using the system. And again, just using, con when I say the system, I literally mean our content, right? Like how, yeah. however they're needing to access it. Those are the big ones, honestly. I mean, that's right a now. lot. And I, it feels like, once, once you nail those, I think 
It's to the moon. I do. I have one I can think of for sure. And this comes with having the, uh, the new person. When I built all the boards originally, mm-hmm. I knew I had like one shot to get a lot of it done. So I have some cards that you have to scroll like three or four times. <laughs> so um, from a content standpoint, um, I want to make everything bite size. Uh, as you mentioned, I love uh, very efficient communication. Um, and so I want to make these things uh, really using tags a lot more. We haven't done that. So I want to, I want to tag everything appropriately, get it bite-sized. So someone doesn't have to go scroll through a board to find it. They can search and within, you know, a handful of keystrokes, find what they need and then get, get on with their day. So make, making the content we have work harder and be more efficient is probably a, a solid goal as well. Well, Brad, based on what you've done so far in such a short amount of time, like it's, it's really impressive to see. And I'm excited when we, when we reconvene maybe six months from now and we do st- uh, part two of the maturity model and where you've gone to now, you can help provide a blueprint for all of the listeners again. I would love to check in in uh, six months or so. I think it'd be great. Perfect. Brad, thank you so much for joining and we'll catch everyone next week.